Good morning, Vine Life. It's great to be with you. Great to be diving in again to the One Another series. Uh, we're going to have some fun uh, this morning talking about honor. And that is the One Another that we are going to focus in on. It is honor one another. So let's have a look at Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, let's read it. It's a simple uh, verse, as all of these verses have been. Simple verse, but then complex and profound as we begin to start to work them out. But Romans 12, verse 10 says this. Be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves. So this is the concept we're going to be going after again with all of these one another's. These are not things that we're hoping to just share by way of interest to you to have a think about, to maybe consider, but actually we're actually praying that as we respond in our discipleship journey, as we respond to uh, really what God is asking of us to implement in the culture of our lives as it pertains to how we love one another around us, these things become uh, profound in their impact to not only how we think about ourselves in proximity to other people, but ultimately how we behave. And uh, we want to dive into that this morning, looking at this particular aspect of honor. As you'll know, uh, just out of interest, kind of looking at this verse uh, together, Paul holds these two ideas um, really uh, closely. They're connected. Ultimately, you can't have one without the other. You can't have love without honor. You can't have honor without actually that being an expression of love. And Paul's really clear to describe the nature and the context of honor. And it's, it's really ab about how, how we're positioned, how we position ourselves with other people outside of ourselves in a way where we position them above um, our own perception of our own position and our own standing. That's what honor really starts to help us understand it. It's about uh, other people's position in my life and how I position them over and above my own concept of my own standing and my own position. And then in turn, it's really, uh, as we'll discover as we kind of pull this verse apart, as we look at honor this morning, it really is about ascribing, laying value to other people and, and living and interacting with them according to and, and reflective of that value. And that's really what, as we start to dig into honor, we realize it's all about the, the value that we would ascribe to other people. And we want to pull that apart because I, I want to just acknowledge right from the get-go that actually one of our, our kind of default modes with other people is not necessarily to ascribe the God-designed value that is on them. And so we need to figure out why is that the case? What do we do about that? And how we do we readjust in how we genuinely love one another according to the value that God places on their lives? So as we begin to look at the whole idea of honoring one another, this, this really isn't this morning about um, trying to tell you <clears throat> a list of, of behavioral practices that you just need to implement. Um, you know, when we're considering honoring people, it's not really about behaviors that we apply. Although let's be absolutely clear, it will impact the way that we behave. But ultimately, it's about... Um, it's not just about behavioral adjustment. It's about a complete adjustment to how we perceive other people around us, how we perceive the relationships that we're in, the people that we come into contact with. And ultimately, again, it's then how we match our behavior and our actions in loving one another according to the value that is on their life. And that's really what we want to dive into. I think one of the fascinating things uh, for me uh, is really where society and culture has got to in, in this whole idea of honor. 
And I, I think I've seen a, a, a real shift, a real drift away uh, from this concept of honor being prevalent in, in our culture and in our society over the last few decades. Sarah and I were actually in a, uh, we were in a lecture uh, a few years ago um, by uh, a guy who we respect, Michael Ramsden, who is one of the uh, founders of the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. He's a brilliant thinker. He's an amazing evangelist uh, and he's a great cultural commentator. And, and Michael began to share in this lecture that we sat in about some of the, the shifts that he'd perceived, some of the shifts that he'd seen in culture and society over the last 50 years. And he was sharing this about this big shift in the last 50 years. Um, and ultimately it was this, he was identifying the fact that 50 years ago, um, those people who would carry in society would carry standing, would carry value, maybe even carry influence. Those people had standing and carried value and had influence because they were honorable. And he was making this observation that, that decades ago, culturally, people that had influence, people that had standing, they were the ones that, that were seen as and marked out as honorable. That's what gave you influence in society, in culture. The, the observation he was making that as, as time had gone on in the last 50 years, that culture had shifted and changed. And now actually, um, he, his his reckoning, his, uh, what he was seeing was that actually no longer was it honor that was held up as a, as a value, but now actually the person that carried influence, the person that carried influence and the person that carried value in culture <clears throat> was somebody who carried a, the strongest victim narrative. Uh, and it's fascinating to see, and I think that would be my reflection, that actually if you think back decades ago, uh, maybe even in some of our own lifetime, that those that would carry standing or influence or value would be ones who carried themselves with honor, that they were honorable. But actually now those that carry influence and, and have voice and uh, are really those that have a strong victim narrative. And in terms of, uh, of, of the way honor used to be, um, uh, just, you know, used to be key in society around civil, uh, civility, uh, respect, cohesion. Now that cultural value has been warped and twisted and has changed. I think it's just fascinating to observe that, that culturally this whole issue of honor really has a low value in our culture. And it's fascinating to consider that, that culturally some, someone's value is connected to them being honorable, but actually really that doesn't carry much weight these days. And I would agree, I've seen that shift in culture. And yet right here in, in God's economy, in his thinking, in his kingdom, uh, the value of ascribing somebody value and holding them in that value um, in how we love them and how we treat them, honoring one another, for God, this is a big deal. It's actually part of the hallmark of his kingdom. And in discipleship terms, as we think about ourselves as ones who are following Jesus, this is an invitation and actually an instruction to become more like Jesus in how we posture our hearts and how we behave to one another. This issue of honor is critical to our discipleship journey. And so, but just acknowledging it here. You know, we are, we're facing a countercultural battle in this, in this area of discipline. If we're thinking about how we begin to uh, grow this and, and nurture this posture of honor, we have to realize that the society we're in doesn't necessarily value that in the same way that God values it. So we just have to acknowledge right from the start that this is a countercultural uh, aspect of the normal Christian life as it pertains to the society we live in. Um, and ultimately, um, because if we're honest, 
when we think about honor, if that has been diminished, if that, if, you know, if, if in our culture and society that has been eroded, we have to ask the question, well, what has taken its place? You know, what, what now is the pervading norm when it comes to how I think about other people? What is culture? And, and the sad thing to reflect into this space and just to acknowledge, again, this countercultural battle that we're in is that actually the cultural norm of honor has moved out and has been replaced by contempt. It's been replaced by contempt. And contempt is that feeling uh, that a person is, is worthless or, or beneath consideration. That's what contempt is. And honestly, I feel like this shows up in our culture all over the place. And sadly, it also shows up in the church. And we need to own that in terms of actually being part of a cultural transformation of our lives, of our community, and ultimately how we not just respond and love those in community, but ultimately how we begin to shape what the culture of our city looks like as we shift from contempt to honor. So just this uh, pervasive and normal way that actually I think I find people interacting or the, or the, um, the place that they start in this, in this mode of contempt, it, it's really saddening, you know, and, and I think contempt shows up in so many places. It, it shows up when we, when we look at somebody else that, that doesn't look like us that doesn't think like us, that doesn't have the same values as us, that we have contempt for people's political views. We have contempt for people who are richer than us. We have contempt for people who are poorer than us. We have contempt for those who just don't look and sound like us. I think that contempt is actually breeding in our culture because we've, we've used contempt uh, as a way for placing our own lives in higher standing to anybody else around us. Because culture would say that's the goal, that you would look after number one, that it would be you are the priority, that your success, uh, your advancement, your feeling of well-being, that is, is primary and everybody else is secondary. And so this element of contempt has crept in because we're no longer positioned to think about, about how we would honor and value and ascribe value to other people, but rather culture would say it's all about ascribing that value to yourself. And that's where contempt breeds. Gosh, it shows up in the church. Let's be really honest. Contempt shows up in the church all the time. We have con a contempt for people that hold different theological views to us. We, we hold contempt for people who worship differently, who have, have different styles, different expressions of church, those who are, are structured differently. We, we maybe have contempt for those who gather small. We have contempt for those that gather big. We, we in, in essence, are always trying to position ourselves and own our own value whilst diminishing other people. And that's where contempt breeds. And at the root of contempt is this. It's the posture that I'm better than you. It's that I'm more right than you, that I'm more valuable than you, that I'm more deserving than you. That's where contempt starts. And contempt is, is this self-preserving, self-congratulatory, self-righteous position. And it's eroding our culture. And honestly, guys, it's eroding the church. Because it's just at odds with the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven would hold, would hold that simple paradigm of my life in association and connection to others is all about how I ascribe other people value. And yet contempt, this cultural norm of contempt is how do I ascribe greater value to myself at the detriment of others? 
And I think if we're honest, we are, we're genuinely part of a world uh, and maybe even sowing into a culture where contempt is that pervading mode. And it's ugly, it's destructive, uh, it causes disconnect, it causes separation, and it's countercultural to the kingdom of heaven. And listen, this is not just something that we can kind of point and wave to, well, that's what happens out there. We have to realize that that's what starts in here. Like that's the, the place that we have to start in this journey, even this morning, that, that, that when we're considering the culture of honor that we want to see manifest in our own lives, in our own community, in our own friendships, and our own city, we can't just separate ourselves and say, well, that's a cultural, you know, you know uh, the opposite of that is just a cultural norm for out there. It starts in here. It's a heart issue and it's seeded in our lives and it grows fruit in how we either do or don't love one another in that mode of honor. So that's pretty heavy. I realize that. And, and um, I, I realize that actually this brings a great challenge to not just how do we do things differently to the world, but ultimately I think it brings a challenge to us in terms of how we influence, how we extend the kingdom of God. If we're going to extend the kingdom of God, that is actually about how we cultivate and nurture and bring the normality of what the culture of honor would look like in my own life and then in the lives of other people. Because it's all about how we love the one another, whether that's in community, outside the community. And so, so what's the antidote? And I do want to get to that. I do want to get to a place where, we, where I can bring you courage and a sense of um, uh, instruction around like, how do we do this differently? What is the antidote? And I do want to get there. But before we get there, just to make things worse, I do actually want to look at a, a particular example of where um, this idea and this issue of contempt crept in um, and ultimately where it was so destructive and where its nature is so dangerous. So again, looking in, in scripture at Mark um, chapter six, um, starting at verse six, let's read this together. It says there's a prophet without honor. Verse six, Jesus left there and went uh, to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that he has been given? What are these remarkable miracles he, has perform he is performing? Verse three, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, amongst his relatives, and in his own home. And this is what happened. Verse 5, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Can you hear where contempt kicked in in this story with Jesus? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? <clears throat> Aren't his sisters here with us? Excuse me. <clears throat> and they took offense at him. And so seemingly in this story with Jesus, the inability to acknowledge even what was in plain sight for them, wisdom and power, they simply couldn't see that and ascribe that value to Jesus Simply, they couldn't square it away simply because it was Jesus, somebody they knew. You know, it was their observations of the familiar that blinded them from the phenomenal and led them to a place where they were unable to honor, 
to simply acknowledge the value of the person that was stood in front of them with great wisdom and great power. And that's where, that's where the destruction began uh, and that's where the damage began in this story. We'll pick it up again. I want to read it. A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town amongst his relatives and in his own, in his own home. He could not do any miracles and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You know, why if these people, these familiar friends, maybe even family members, what would have happened if they'd not been so short-sighted through their familiarity? What would the village have experienced? The, a greater level of the sick being healed, maybe relationships restored, maybe even the economy changed, the poor no longer having, uh, having lack or need, or maybe the lonely not being uh, alone anymore. What could have been the impact of honor if that, in that simple moment, those that took uh, the familiar and chose to allow that to be the lens that they saw Jesus, as opposed to allowing the phenomenal and then them being able to ascribe that value, what could have happened in this village? But I think the challenge to us is how much do we do that with the people around us, our, uh, the friends that we know, family, people that we, where we know their story? Do we hold that up? Do we hold that familiarity up as a limiting factor to people in our own lives, people in our own community? What if our own short-sightedness or lack of honor, what if that contains or curtails or even constrains people from becoming the world changer that they're called to be, that maybe our constraint of a person constrains them from stepping into the powerful world changer that they are in the unique and powerful God-designed way. And yet I guarantee that this is where we so often, what we're so often faced with, this level of familiarity, which disempowers us from actually ascribing honor and being part of the transference of empowering somebody into who they really are. And this is what I want to get to this morning. I want to get to what is honor all about? <clears throat> what is it not about? Let me start with what honor is not all about. Honor isn't a power game. Uh, it, it isn't where <clears throat> power is given in a hierarchical standing based on how much value you ascribe to somebody. You know, that's the ugly part of honor. And I sometimes feel like that shows up uh, in the church that, that often honor somehow flows up this hierarchical ladder. And it's about some level of platform. It's about some level of seniority. It's about some level of giftedness. You know, where those who are special are paid increased attention and focus. Listen, um, that is ugly. It's unbiblical. And I don't want anything to do with that in our community. Honor is not about hierarchy. This is what honor is all about. Honor is for all. Let me say that again. Honor is for all. A culture of honor is when, where all get to participate and all get to receive. Let me say that again. Honor is for everybody. It's for all. And it's about a culture of honor is where we get to participate and we get to receive. This is what John Tyson uh, says, uh, this helpful little quote about honor. It said, a biblical vision of honor is a life-giving source of joy to all who are touched by it. Honor is the recognition of the value, contribution, and importance of others. Honor is a relational or uh, social term that identifies how people in any society evaluate each other. I love that, that, that particular phrase, a life-giving source of joy to all 
who are touched by it. This should be our cultural norm, that actually how we love one another in that posture of being able to ascribe value to who the the people are that are around us, in front of us, how we ascribe that value and how we love them according to that value should be a source of joy. We should find this permeating through our relationships. We should find this permeating through our culture and it should bring a sense of joy. The New Testament word that's most used for honor um, is a word that literally just means those two things, ascribe value and to prize. Ascribe value and to prize. And so this becomes our mode. It becomes the way that we think um, first and foremost about the people that are around us. We think in this mode of how am I somebody who is assigning value and am prizing the people who are in front of me? And ultimately, this, this mode is the antidote to this culture of contempt, which is so pervasive in our culture and potentially pervasive in our own lives. The antidote is honor. And the antidote is how do I find myself in a mode with other people where I am assigning value, ascribing value to somebody and then prizing them and loving them in such a way where actually I value them over and above even my own self. John Tyson again uses this helpful, um, helpful phrase. He talks about it being our honor filter. You know, that, that filter, that <clears throat> the way that we perceive and engage and interact with people around us, that's filtered through honor. Um, I love the way 2 Corinthians 5.16 um, says it. It says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, the pervading culture uh, of contempt or the worldview of contempt is no longer how we regard people. It's not the mode, it's not the lens, it's not the filter that we apply. Honor is. And it takes a very different intentional way of considering, thinking, and behaving with and in and around other people. I like to think about it like this. It's, it, it's almost like honor. If we, are to, if we are to be highly intentional with honor, it's about allowing honor to become a new lens that we put in front of our lives. It's kind of like every, how many of you have ever been to an optometrist? It's, it's, you know, these aren't the special glasses, but it's like putting these glasses on in order to see things clearly as they are. You know, for those of you who maybe are short-sighted and you will go to the optometrist and you'll know those moments when <clears throat> you're asked to read what's on, on, the, on the board and you can't see it, it's all fuzzy, it's all hazy, and you're trying to pick out some, you, you know, you're just trying to pick out some letters, trying to pick out some numbers, trying to pick out what's in front of you and it's hazy and it's dull and it's confusing. And I feel like without honor, with contempt as our lens, what we end up doing is when the people are in front of us in, the, in a way, uh, in a way <clears throat> we start to say, well, it, it feels fuzzy, but you know, I, I, I don't like them because they're different me, than me. I, I don't like their view. I, I, don't, I don't like how they're behaving. I, and, and contempt is that sort of blurry lens that we try to observe the people in front of us. And it's just not with the clarity and conciseness of who they really are. But we all know that moment when, or maybe you don't if you've not been short-sighted, when, when that when that. Op- Thomas just lens and they say, you know, better or worse, they put these lenses in front and they, and they try to sharpen your vision, trying to, you're trying to see what's in front of you. 
And, and as things become sharper, as the lens gets, the, the, the right lens gets put in front of your eye, you begin to see clearly, oh, these are not just fuzzy black images on, the on, on a screen in front of me. No, no, no. These are letters and numbers. And it's the same with honor. You know, if contempt is the lens, the blurry lens in front of our eyes, we're going to see people not as they are. But ultimately, as soon as honor becomes our lens, we begin to see with clarity and conciseness and we can actually speak that out. I see exactly what that is. I see exactly who you are. I see your value and I love you and I interact with you on the basis of that value that I now see because honor becomes the lens. Honor is the thing that I put in front of my eyes to see you how you really are. That's the honor lens. <clears throat> And it's ultimately honoring somebody. This is not, you know, honor is not this kind of general sense. It's very specific because it's related to a, the person that's in front of us. It's, it's related to the one another's that we interact with. And I want to just touch on three final things as we close out to, to consider, you know, what are the intentional things that we can do in that space of placing that honor lens in front of our eyes as we look to see people and ascribe and assign that value to them and prize them according to that value. The first thing is this. I think it's really important that we learn how to value somebody's history. Why do I say that? I think often when we have interactions with people, maybe even for the first time, we're trying to assimilate very quickly who they are. And it's based on an encounter. It's based on a moment. It's based on what we see in front of us. But the person that we see in front of us has a history. They have pain. They have challenges. They have victories. They've invested themselves into their life in lots of different ways to bring them to the point where we get to encounter them, where we get to meet them. And so actually, if we, if we dissociate that person from their history, we don't actually value that, that actually the, the person in front of us has a story. And we may need to dive into that story. That's why I love our community when we say, actually, part of what we value would be to be seen, heard, and known so that we can be championed and challenged. This is the mode that we want to build community and build friendship. Because ultimately, if we are seen, heard, and known, we appreciate that every single one of us has a story. We have something in our history that has brought us to this point today. And we know that our history doesn't define our destiny, but it certainly does mark out who we are in the present moment. And that is something to be taken care of. That is something where we can apply honor and value to recognize that the person in front of me is not just this momentary, uh, this, this momentary encounter with a person. I'm connecting with something that's much bigger, that has a narrative arc, that has a story to it, that may well be filled with challenge, that may well be filled with pain, that may be well be filled um, with circumstances that brought about what it is that I experience in you today. So we have to be people that actually consider that in how we genuinely love <clears throat> and how we genuinely honor one another. The second thing is, is this, as well as valuing somebody's history, we have to begin to start to value somebody's future. Now that might be really tricky for some of you because you're like, well, how do I value something that doesn't exist yet? Well, let me tell you this, their future does exist. Prophetically, this is where we get to partner with God in how God sees them. You know, when somebody, when we interact with somebody and, 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 and what, we, what we discover or maybe our first interaction <clears throat> creates a level of confusion or, or, or disdain or the sense of like, I just don't get on or, or I don't understand or I don't value this person. Our first job is to, is to put that on a lens on and, and be asking God, God, how do you see this person? 
And that is always going to be about their future reality. It's always going to be about who that person is in process and who are they becoming. And if we can begin to align our sight and how we see people and how we interact with people, recognizing that they are people in process just like us, that they are people on the discipleship journey of becoming more like Jesus, then we can value them into their future. We can actually be part of this prophetic culture that sees the gold in them, that sees who they are not quite yet, and actually calls that future reality into being. We can actually apply courage and strength and fuel to that journey that they're on. And that is where honor comes in, that that lens of how God sees them gets firmly put in front of our eyes so that we can see people as God sees people. And ultimately, that's the real starting place to really ascribing value. Because we're not ascribing value even on the basis of somebody's history or their story. That gives us some context, but we're ascribing value on the basis of how does God see this person? Who has he created them to be? What are their giftings? What are their, what are their graces? What are, the, <clears throat> what are some of the things that they are purposed to do that actually are, are, are in God's economy? What gives them value? How do I see those things? How do I value those things? How do I hold them forward into those things? So a culture of honor absolutely values somebody's future. And finally, I think that we, in this putting on this, this honor lens, we have to value somebody's purpose. You know, Psalm 139, a familiar verse, acknowledges that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I think we are, we are very good at ascribing that verse to ourselves. God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so I, I recognize that there is beauty and there is architecture of heaven and God that is on my life. And that is what gives me security and value. Like it's beautiful to own that for myself. I wonder how much we ascribe that that purpose-filled value that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, how much do we actually apply that to other people? I want to encourage you that, that actually in, in actually kicking against and bringing this antidote to contempt, if we are going to embrace honor, we actually have to really dig into um, somebody's purpose. What, again, seeing the value of what God's placed in their lives and valuing that. And being encouraged by that and holding them forward into more of that. You know, and again, it, it's so often it's easy to, to hold that value for ourselves, but how much more <clears throat> would that be um, valuable if we were able to give that away in our way of loving other people? Could honor begin to flow as we realize that actually the person in front of me has purpose and has destiny? Again, it's tied to seeing the God-designed future in them. But can we own and value the importance and the significance and the beauty that is on people's lives? And can we call it out? Can we see it? Can we approach and interact with people on that basis rather than maybe some of the things that actually cause us to step away or call us to trip over other people? Could we actually hold that as the far more critical issue in our relationships that actually we're, we're defined in how we love one another through this lens of honor that sees us value people's story, values people's history, values people's future, and values the purpose that God has placed on their lives. You know, I'm convinced that, that um, 
<clears throat> that in order to move from contempt to honor, uh, this is a journey that we're on and it's something that we ha have to be highly intentional over. I want to encourage you as I'm encouraging myself, if we want to build this into the fabric of who we are as individuals and corporately as a church, we have to be intentional. Root out those things that actually breed contempt in our own lives. Be aware of those things. Recognize where they're growing or festering in our own hearts and deal with those things. And then begin to proactively say, no, I'm, I'm choosing to put the honor lens over my eyes, that my interactions, conversations and engagements and encounters with people are going to be filtered through. How can I see the beauty and a value in who you are? Even if maybe I'm not experiencing it in real time, how can I see that prophetically and call that out and hold you forward into who you really are, that value? How can I prize you and love you and value in, you in that way? This is what we're going after. This is what we want. This is what we want to see. This is what we want to grow in. So I'm going to pray uh, to that end, acknowledging that this is a journey we're on and this is something that we want to nurture together. Father, I thank you for this challenge. I thank you the, for, the, for the light of your word that actually illuminates our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and you would challenge and change any of those pervading parts of our hearts that is breeding content. God, we want to be ruthless with that stuff. We want to weed it out and we want it to have no place in our lives, in our church, and ultimately no place in our city. But Father, I pray that as we do that, as we allow Holy Spirit to you to shine that light, to convict our hearts, to challenge us and change us, I pray that we would pick up the responsibility, the intentionality of what it is to place honor over our eyes, for that lens to be something that we nurture and develop, that in the one another's, in the interactions with people around us, we would actually develop the practice of honor. We would cultivate it as a heart posture and we would develop the practice of it in our interactions, that God, we could hold people forward into the beautiful value of who they are, who you've said they are, that we recognize that they have a story, that they have a purpose and they have a future. And so God, as we step into that as a, as a community, I pray that you would breathe your Holy Spirit on it, that actually that we would grow, that actually that we would see the fruit of honor in our community and beyond into our city in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, guys, it has been great to be with you, even if it's on the stream. Uh, I just want to say I'm super encouraged as we continue to hear amazing stories of what God is doing in your life and through your life, even in this, even in this season of, that is constrained as we're not able to meet together. It's, it's, it actually brings us great joy to know that God is on the move. He's with us. He's living and active. And um, so just want to encourage you uh, in, in all that we've talked about today, again, begin to wrestle with this stuff, begin to talk about it as a community and the relationships that you're in, begin to process this together uh, as we look to, to to be challenged and changed by God's word. Hey, also just recognize that maybe some of you want uh, some prayer, that there's the opportunity to do that after our time together this morning. Uh, you can hop online uh, and the, the Zoom call, uh, the link will be down in the comments section, but um, there'll be a group that is ready just to stand with you and pray with you, hear God's heart for you. And maybe you need something to strengthen you, encourage you, build you up to hear God's heart for you um, this morning. We absolutely want to create the space to do that. So if that's you and you want to jump online uh, to one of our prayer teams, and um, please feel free to do that. Other than that, um, have an amazing week. It's great to be with you this morning, but I look forward to being with you in person again very, very soon.